So, it's been a long time. We've been so eager to come out here and visit. Scott and I have been a few times, and we've flown out here for just a few days. And we've been, for a couple of years, looking forward to bringing all of our kids out. So we have four boys. We became parents four times at this church. So we, well, not technically at this church, but when we lived in Southern California. (laughs) There seemed to be something in the water in our home group. Everyone was having babies at the same time. And so we, three of our boys were born here. Our adoption, which was a really um, special, uh, deeply moving experience, um, happened also right here in the love and support of this church. And so we just, God, God actually so many hopes and ministry understandings were conceived in us here. So lots of conceptions and births happened here in our lives. So we're just very thankful, very, very thankful to be back. Um, so we're today, um, it's diversity in the big story is the, the title. And diversity is something that, again, we were sort of awakened to how that intersects with ministry here at this church. And we'd come, we'd lived in South Carolina, we had been in school there. We went to Hungary and lived. And when we moved here to Southern California, that was our most significant experience with diversity that we had ever had until then. Um, so the title, Diversity in the Big Story. Diversity isn't in the Bible, really, is it? God doesn't really say in the Bible, here's what I think about diversity, but we hear it all around us. There are a lot of things that we may have questions about or may wonder about that society talks about that you can't just go look in the concordance of your Bible or can't go flipping through your Bible and find something specifically about, here's what I think about this. And diversity is one of those things. So sometimes when we have questions, we have to look at the big story of Scripture to try to figure out what, what does God think about this. So, I think you're, well, you were waiting for me, I think. Now I'm back to the music. Everybody stand and sing. I'm just kidding. Well, so let me read this to you. I have a couple others, but I think they're, they're kind of missing up there somewhere. So this, I want you to, to read this. I'll read it out loud for those of you who can't see. Um, I don't see well, so I'm always thinking about the people sitting here who can't see the screen. So let me read this to you. We're moving from awareness to action. Our goal is to have people within our organization working and living to reach their full potential. We believe that leaders hold themselves accountable for learning about, valuing, and respecting others. Diversity and inclusion are part of our culture. From the back room to the boardroom, we're working to achieve this goal every day by creating an environment for everyone to contribute their best. This is our journey to bring our values to life, and it's a journey that continues through education and outreach. Who do you think said this? This is a real uh, sort of value statement for an organization that you all know. Give me some thoughts. Boy Scouts, that's a good guess. It's not, not right, but it's a good guess. Okay, another one? Come on, give me some guesses. The Pope. Oh, okay, well, so this is, I like this. So we have a kind of a civic organization and we have a, a church organization. How many of you think this came from a church organization? Because the word outreach sort of sounds like it and bringing our values to life and a journey. All these are words we use in church. Um, but no, actually... This came from McDonald's. This came from McDonald's. And McDonald's talks about diversity in a way that even though I disagree with them on some points and have even in the past 
boycotted McDonald's, which was difficult with four kids and a dollar menu. It was very hard to not go. Um, Still, McDonald's talks about diversity in a way that sounds like what God thinks in some ways. And so it kind of made me think, okay, so how do they succeed? When I walk into a McDonald's in Virginia, we are in the D.C. area. I don't know. That's probably where you're going to be, right, Anissa? Oh, okay. So a bit, a bit of a distance from us, but still a very diverse place. So if I walk into a McDonald's in the D.C. area, the people who work there may need a translator to understand one, one another. So I may go to the window. I went to the register one day, and there was a, an older Chinese woman, and she had to fumble with her glasses to read what was on the register, and she was shouting out uh, an order to someone back behind her who then said it in Spanish to the person back in the kitchen. And this characterizes a lot of McDonald's interactions, and they're very successful. So can we play that little clip real quick? We have diversity on both sides of the counter within McDonald's. As we build an inclusive work environment for our employees, they are able to deliver the kind of service that they need to deliver to our customers, and that makes it a win-win for all of us. created an environment that says to our employees, you can give your best. We believe in employees helping employees. Our MCD mentoring program provides an opportunity for those employees who have really excelled within the organization to reach back and help the other employees. And throughout the organization, whether it's on the supplier side or the operator side, as well as the uh, employee side, we have diversity it's integrated in everything that we do, an inclusive environment. Everybody feels like they're valued and respected, regardless of who they are. The American dream becomes, and we don't have to talk about diversity anymore. It's just a way of life. It's the way we all live. So... We want everyone to contribute their best. We want everyone to feel included. We want everyone to be able to flourish. They, McDonald's even uses this word to flourish. So that's, a, that's, a, that's God's word, you know, for human beings to flourish. Um, look at this here. So it's not just McDonald's. Everybody in the business world gets it. So here's what I want you to do. You only have one minute, so you have to do it fast. Don't be shy. I want you to find someone not in your family and preferably of a different age group. And I want you to ask, I want you to talk for one minute, just really quickly, about why these companies do this. Go. Hurry.
15 seconds. Yes, okay, all right, yeah, right, gotcha. Okay, Pastor Dave says he thinks he has the right answer. So, why? Why do they do it? Money. Political correctness. But why, Bev? Why political correctness? So why do they care if they're politically correct? Just because they have this internal, like, you know, need to be that way? Or why do you think they're so concerned about political correctness? They want everyone to like them. Why? To make more money. Because McDonald's sells burgers, don't they? So McDonald's, they do, they talk this great talk, and I'm not saying it's not true, because I've seen it. They, I marvel at how they do things sometimes. All over the world they do this. It's not just here. But you know what? They do it to sell burgers, and I want to know, why does God do it? Why? So, okay, to save souls, to bring people to him. You've just given away the punchline of this whole message. That's good, but I want you to keep that in mind. God has a purpose for diversity. He has a purpose for it. And we don't open the Bible and see a verse that tells us exactly what that is. But let me just tell you, this, this, has, this is a question that intersects with life. And it's a question in a church like this, and in the, a church like the one that we're in now, and we were also in another church here in this area, structured very much like this. We have a congregation here. We are, as a group, very diverse in this room right now. And this church has been that way for almost two decades now. And then um, we have, so we value, I've, I've just now lost my place. You know, I'm thinking about this church. Okay, so our church in Virginia is very similar. Okay, I'm just going to give you some quick pictures. There's Ben. You can see these were taken when we first moved there. Ben was, ben was 10. There's Pete and Joey down there. This is a VBS. You see we have a really diverse group. This is one of our best little buddies named Ezekiel. His mom is an immigrant from Sierra Leone, single mom. This was night in Bethlehem. We have these uh, activities for, like, all church things at Christmas time. You see we have diversity of... We have ethnic diversity, cultural diversity. We have men and women. We have young and old. Down here, this me, the crazy woman in the blue scarf on the head. And you see the Pakistani woman next to me is like. So this is the thing that I think makes it tough, okay? So Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, which is a now and a not quite yet sort of thing, okay? We, we experience a lot of the kingdom of God, and we're waiting for it to be fully realized. And he says, they will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will recline together at the table in the kingdom of God. Well, reclining isn't um, just being polite on the surface. Re- reclining, you're kicked back around the table. You're kicked back and you're enjoying each other's company. And that's, we come to a church like this because we like that idea, right? We like the idea of being kicked back together and enjoying fellowship with one another and with people who are different from us. But it's not automatic and it's not easy And times come when, I will be honest, I have felt like, wouldn't it just be easier to do this alone? Wouldn't it just be easier to have just a group of people like me? We understand each other. We don't have cultural differences. So we we have an Indian and Pakistani uh, congregation. 
at our church right now, and we've gotten along really well. So the, the sort of blended congregation that's a lot like this one and the Pakistani Indian congregation, have, we've really gotten along well. We've done things together. We, uh, they have a, uh, this thing they call Masihi Mela, which is like a, a festival, and it's in the church parking lot. And they said, hey, um, we want to have this festival to reach out to Indians and Pakistanis in the area. You know, um, will you guys help us? And so we go and help. And so and they, the, our board conversations are wonderful. We have a lot of learning and just great fellowship together. But we recently had a situation where so the, the Indian pastor is an older man who is very traditional. And the congregation and the style of worship is very traditional. And there's a young, really kind of on fire uh, Pakistani guy who is called to ministry and has been progressing in ministry for several years now. But the, the leadership style of the older man um, isn't what this younger man is looking for. And so the blended congregation thought, you know what, we will just, we will make a way for this young man to serve. So why don't we start a satellite congregation over here and he can lead that. And he'll reach out to young Indians and Pakistanis particularly that sounded like a great idea, but it wasn't because the Indians and the Pakistanis got angry and they said, this is not how we approve leaders in our culture. They have to go through a process. They have to be approved by the senior guy in charge. And you, you've just gone around. And so we had a huge conflict and the Indian and Pakistani congregation is now separate. They don't come to the board meetings. Um, they are essentially renting space. And this is a relationship that has been flourishing for 14 years. And now, now... We've got a, a big chasm between us, and we don't work together anymore. And sometimes when these things happen, I say in my heart, I recognize an urge to just, they can go, and we'll just focus on ministry this way, and they can focus on ministry this way. It'd just be simpler. Have we all felt that way sometimes? Here... We felt that sometimes, all together as a group. I know we felt it. Scott and I happened to be here the first, on the Sunday that you celebrated. It was in 1997, June of 97, the Sunday that you celebrated the one-year anniversary of a congregation that was called Puente de Vida. And that congregation had been here for a year. We just happened to, we looked up the church, and we came in that day, and that happened to be the one-year celebration we met Pastor Gordon and Lindy that day, and Myrtle Anderson came and greeted us, and we saw this wonderful celebration of Puente de Vida. And that was wonderful. We had, it was a combined service, and we had food out in the open area, and um, everybody enjoyed that. It was a real high. And we were also here a few years later when that congregation, on a Sunday morning, about 10.32, um, all went walking off together across the parking lot in protest about basically what boiled down to cultural differences. So that was painful. It really threw people into a little bit of chaos for a time. And these are Jesus followers. And these are Jesus followers. And we're all trying to do ministry. We have this great commission given to us, and we're trying to do ministry, and we're in a diverse community, and so it stands to reason that if we do ministry together, we can reach them better. But yet, we hit this moment of great frustration with each other. And it didn't end well. And this is a story that I'm not afraid to say here because it happens in so many churches like this. 
And I think we all come to the point of asking sometimes, why do it? Why make an effort? If the Indians and Pakistanis want to go do things their own way, why try to reconcile? Isn't it just easier to do it separately? So when I have these questions, I go to the Lord. Sometimes it takes some time, some reading and some prayer and some reflection, but I go to the Lord. So let's just go to the Lord real quick today, okay? Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you to be here. We know you're here. We invite you to move freely. The kingdom of God is where you reign, and we want you to reign in us. We don't need more information. We have a lot of information. We need our lives changed. And as a church, we lean into a new day. So just change our lives today. Help us to look in your word and understand this matter of diversity. In Jesus' name. Okay. Here's the catch. We're getting here to the answer, okay? The answer that isn't easy to find. Now, we have Pentecost coming up, okay? And the big story, so this title, Diversity and the Big Story, the big story is God created the world with perfect intent. He designed for us the good life, the really indescribably good life. And then in the heavenly places and in the human experience, sin entered that story and churned things up. And the good life that God intended then suddenly became impossible to fully realize. And God has been working from that time to restore his chosen, most precious creations, that's us, into an experience of the good life. And the big intervention in that story, of course, was Jesus. The birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that restores us into fellowship with God and with one another. Okay, so this is... The whole story from start to finish, and and the finish is yet to come. The even more perfect realization of that good life. Okay? That's the big story. And there are characters in the big story. There's God. He's the creator. He is all goodness. And we have his enemy, the devil, who is out to destroy that plan. Okay? So this is the big story. When I look at the big story and I ask about diversity, I have to honestly say that I come I bump into some questions that don't seem at first to have answers, okay? Now, I gave scripture to people, and if you have that, I'd like you to come forward. I'd like you to line up from number one to number 15. This is the scripture for today, and I want you to listen. You're going to have to listen closely to the contour of the big story in all of this, okay? Where's that mic? Number one is down here. Okay, got everybody in order? Okay. Go ahead and read it for us, Mike. Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, Be be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Genesis eight twenty through nine one and uh, chapter nine verse seven. 
Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the, tower the pe- and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped, they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. First Chronicles sixteen twenty three through 24 Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven to 28. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Psalm 72, verse 18. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Isaiah 2, 1 through 3. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord, from Jerusalem. Isaiah 52, 9 and 10. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. 
For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then to the end and then the end will come. Luke twenty four verses forty six through forty eight. He told them, This is what is written The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached to his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Acts 1, 8 through 9. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, in Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And Romans sixteen twenty-five to 27. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles, Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Give them a round of applause. So I kind of misled you earlier. Uh, Sherry, I think it was, said he wants, every, he, he wants to save souls. He wants us to save souls. So that's why he, yes, this is true. But I am a little bit troubled, okay, at what, you know, at, at, I spend some time being troubled by what's God's thinking. Okay, we start over here in the garden. He says, from the very start, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the whole, the whole earth. So in some of my studies, I learned about how languages change as people come into contact with each other and how cultures develop and all this. And God, at the very beginning, before sin was part of the equation, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. So he wanted them to go. The inevitable, now unless this, all this social science theory is wrong, 
we were going to develop into different cultures and languages anyway. So from the very beginning, he says, be fruitful, multiply, and go. In other words, diversify. Get out there. That means some of you are going to be on this side of a mountain range and some of you are going to be over here. You guys are going to be raising sheep and your language is going to grow up and your culture is going to grow up around this idea of raising sheep. And you guys over here are going to be, I don't know, you're going to be growing corn. And so your whole culture and your language are going to develop around that. You fishermen, you're going to, everything's going to, so people change. Languages are different. Cultures are different. We have diversity. Seemingly, unless social science theories are wrong, we have seemingly a picture of God from the very beginning saying, I want diversity. Now, how much sense does that make? When you also have a God who says throughout this whole line of people, the message is going to go out and everyone is going to know it. And he actually chose a people in the middle of all this cultural diversity. He chose a people, Israel, to represent him to the world. So I spent some time really wrestling with this, like, how much sense does that make? You say diversify, and yet you want your message to go out. And then I thought about Babel. We think about Babel as a curse that maybe he, you know, this is his punishment for you. But no, I'm thinking this idea of diversification was God's plan from the start. He created people to be in relationship with him. We get up to Noah. Um, we, Noah builds an ark. Why? Because people weren't in relationship with God. And God's whole point of creating people was to be in fellowship with them. He loves us and wants us. So he wants to be in relationship with us. So he's got this plan. It's not going the way he wants it because people are not living in the way they were even created to be living. So we move on in time. We have Babel. God seemingly then forces this diversity that people resisted. We go on in time. We have Abram. God sends him out to a place he doesn't know. Um, Stay in relationship with me. We go on through time. We have This is the establishment then of Israel. This is God's mouthpiece. We go on through time. We get to Jesus. We get to Pentecost, which is June 8th, by the way, so it's coming up. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and filled the believers, and yes, all the people could hear in their own language. But you know what? In my experience at this church and in two other churches, the language isn't the biggest problem. Language is a big deal. But we have cultural differences. We look at life differently. So why did God not, at Pentecost, just reverse what he did at Babel? So with, he could have made us all speak this. He could have, like, miraculously just said, you know what? We're all going to be speaking Spanish now. We're all speaking Spanish. Or he could have said, We're gonna, I'm going to get rid of all this cultural diversity that causes so much trouble because I have a singular mission, like you said, and that is to save souls. I want people in relationship with me. He could have just, at Pentecost, whoosh, wiped out all the difficulty and made it easy. Then we as individuals would, would easily come to him. The church would easily get the message out to people. But no, he let the diversity and the difficulty remain. This is the same God who intended it from the start. So I have to ask, why? I think, and I'm still working on this, and you work on it. I think the point of diversity from the start is to keep us 
in relationship to God to draw us and to draw others. We think about diversity a lot of times in terms of how it draws others to God. But you know what? I think that it keeps us in relationship to God. If we look at all these people and all these passages, we see God consistently saying, stay in relationship with me, spread out, diversify. Stay in relationship with me, spread out, diversify. We see that God wants it, and I think it's because it roots us in relationship with him. I have never been involved in ministry that is as difficult as ministry like this. But you know what? It makes me personally desperately crawl and claw my way into God's presence and say, Lord, help! We can't do this thing without your help. I could build my own nice little tower like Babel. I could say, you know what? I know what middle-class white people want in church. And so I'm going to build a church with a bunch of middle-class white people, and we're going to reach middle-class white people only because that is something I understand and get. But I think that that, and I'm not, I, there are a lot of churches that do that. This is not any judgment on them. I'm telling you what I sense in myself, and as I look at God's purpose for diversity, and I think that God wants me on my knees in ministry. He wants me having to cooperate with other people who understand him in a different way than I do. I think, well, I think that my little pointer didn't move the, the slide forward, but that's okay, because this, this has always been the point. So, what, is this, what does this mean to you? You're part of the big story. We are all part of this big story. If you haven't entered into a relationship with Jesus, you're invited to do that. You're always invited to do that. The Lord, from the very beginning, envisioned you, dreamed you up, excitedly waited for your birth. He wants to be in relationship with you. It's always been his point to draw us to him in all kinds of ways. Diversity is one of that, one of those ways. For you here in this church, what does it mean? Three things I would suggest. One, when things are good, when things are going really well, and you're in this sweet spot here at this church with the other congregations that are part of this church, don't miss the opportunity to, to lean into those relationships and to go deep with people. People of different cultures see God in a different way than you do. It's not that... Uh, Someone is wrong and someone is right. It's that in the environments we grow up in and the things that our cultures emphasize, we have a tendency to look at the scripture through a certain lens. We go to church with a lot of West Africans. They read the scripture. What, what first jumps to mind for them is not what first jumps to mind to, for me. They look at scripture and they what validates faith for them is, am I living in a way that, that insists that I find life in the Lord, that he provides my needs. He gives me sustenance. I, I, I woke up to that through them. Uh, Latin American believers, by and large, you know what validates faith for them? Action. Are you standing up for justice? Are you standing up for people who don't have? Are you looking out for the downtrodden? So these things are both true, but they see it first. You know what? The, uh, the, like, say, the Koreans, suffering. Why, this is why Koreans have three-day prayer vigils, and they fast, and they, they suffer. 
identifying with Christ and his suffering, that validates faith for them. I can learn a lot from them. We in North America, our, our big lens is purity. So we, purity of heart, purity of lifestyle, we, we think purity. None of these are wrong, but you can see that we put them all together and we have a more complete picture. So lean in to relationships with these other congregations. How can you get to know them and hear their stories? How do they understand the Lord in a way that you don't? You're missing out if you don't lean into that. When things are tough, don't give up. Don't give in to the babble urge. I have a babble urge. Don't give in to it. God will perfect you in love. He'll sanctify, perfect us in love for one another and for him by these rough edges that we all have. And having to learn to cooperate with these other people who see life so differently, wow, God can teach us a lot. And third, don't ever, this is just in any time, not good, not bad, any time, keep mission central. Do you know you can't reach certain people without other people? I've got Salvadoran neighbors. They party hardy all the time, okay? It's a bunch of men. They come and go. It's sort of a revolving door next door to us. We've had the county people out. We haven't had the county people out there, but we have seen the county people out there. We don't know what goes on over there, but I can't reach them like my Salvadoran friends from church can. So you need to be looking for ways and praying for God to open your eyes and awaken your spirit to ways that you can reach out to people through other people that are a part of this church. Being diverse is not the point. So a lot of churches like this think that. We want to be diverse. No. No. Bringing people to God and being drawn more tightly into relationship with him, that's the point. If we could do that, if we could internalize this idea that the point of diversity is to draw people to God, we would be missionally effective. We would be perfected in love. We would have a bigger, more complete picture of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for doing your work among us who are already um, in relationship with you. Thank you for always drawing all of us. Lord, if there, um, just I just want to talk to anyone here who is not in relationship with the Lord now, if you want to do that, just ask him. Lord Jesus, Lord, you know our hearts. Just ask that you would stir each of us to your ways and to draw us to you.